Good morning, everybody, and welcome. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8, or 88, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. This morning, you are listening to a best ofs breakfast show, the best of Lyle and Mon throughout the year with other associated guests. So sit back, relax, enjoy the best ofs breakfast show here on Faith FM. The Breakfast Show, bits you may have missed. You are with Lyle and... Mon. What's wrong with you, Mon? Dude, I can't even right now. (laughs) I don't think you realise how significant Sunday was for me. So Lawson and I decided on Sunday that we're going to go full vegan. And I also decided on Sunday was my starting date for going sugar-free with Shell, producer Shell. And I'm having, like, the worst withdrawal symptoms. Like, I have a headache from now. I'm, like, depressed, I'm anxious, I'm stressed, my sleep's messed up with. I just want to throw myself off a cliff. Uh, Everything hurts, Lyle. I just want a lollipop. (laughs) (laughs) To take away the pain. Oh, it hurts so much. I can't believe it. This is, like, I've done sugar-free stints before, but this is by far the worst lot of symptoms I've ever had. The worst withdrawal you've had. Ever. It's so bad. And it's only since Sunday. It's only since Sunday. It's only since Sunday. And the thing is, I'm refusing to take any painkillers because I'm like, nope, you got yourself into this mess. Now you're going to feel how it feels to come out of it. <laughs> so, so this is your motivation to stay sugar-free. Yeah, yeah. I feel if I take a, a, a proper painkiller, I won't really have any memory of how hard it was to come off or, or even have any... Like knowledge of how bad it is for my body. Like if it can do this to my body, it must be really bad. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I'm having trouble concentrating. I had to do a math test yesterday, and like it's just basic arithmetic, and I'm like looking at the numbers, and numbers are jumping around on the page, and I'm like, did I become dyslexic? <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. Hey, maybe that's a cure for all dyslexic people. Yeah, just go sugar free. No, 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 no. Up your sugar intake. Oh, up your sugar. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But it's holding you back from being less dyslexic. Maybe it's a thing, Mon. Maybe yeah, it's but- a thing. <laughs> Actually, I don't think it is. Do not take my advice. I am not a doctor. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I am not, not a, a doctor. Uh, not a dietitian <laughs> or anything otherwise qualified in the field of health. <laughs> Oh, In anyway. fact, following my advice would probably be a really terrible idea. I'm grateful for Lawson and Shell this morning for being my buddies on this journey. So, yeah. Anyway, what are you grateful for? Tell me in eight seconds. Um, I'm grateful that I get to watch you go sugar free. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to be a misery. Anyway, hopefully a great show coming up for you today. Take my life and let it be Always only for my king 
in a good mood because like I'm in a lot of pain (laughs) I'm in more pain now because uh Producer Shell. T- okay, okay. So, so no, no, wait, 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 wait. Right, waiting. No, 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 no. Yeah, Producer Shell is your ally here. She is your best ally. This it doesn't is your, feel ally-like to me. It is your enemies, your enemies <laughs> from Victoria that have been trying to sabotage you that Shell has rescued you yeah. from. She has stepped in yeah. as the hero of the day and mm-hmm. saved yeah. you from imminent destruction. Yeah, yeah. I see how you paint that picture. Yeah. Uh, so for those who don't know, Lyle and Shell went to uh, Victoria over the weekend to speak at a conference and they met up with some friends of mine and my friends it turns out sent me a Ziploc bag full of cookies uh-huh. back with the South Wales yes. and Shell's just presented me with an empty Ziploc bag and said <laughs> I took the cookies out for you. <laughs> See, she's your, she, she is your ally. She has solved this problem for you. In fact, seeing as Shell is also sugar free. <laughs> Angling for cookies. Homemade cookies. I'm wondering where those cookies are right now. Homemade Katevsky cookies. It's hard to beat Now, I've never had Katevsky cookies before. Well, I feel like I could block you, but you should probably try that. (laughs) Actually, you know what? I might call the Katevskys. And they said, when are you coming to visit? Enjoy your homemade cookies. We miss you. Okay, call them during the next song break. Yeah, and just check. I'm pretty sure they would be like sugar-free. 
Knowing the contestants. No, no. Knowing the, no, contestants are very healthy people. Yeah. No, no definitely not sugar-free. <laughs> definitely not sugar-free. Those things are laced with sugar. In fact, there's so much sugar in them, you can see the sugar sparkling on the surface. Yeah, yeah. I think you're full of it, Lyle. <laughs> you're full of sugar, Lyle. <laughs> uh, I am not sugar-free, but I am sugar-reduced. <laughs> like and that's, that's that. the truth. Mm-hmm. That's the yeah. truth. Even yeah. my wife will say that that is the truth. You're and she is like a super honest person. You're like, you're like consciously uncoupling from sugar. <laughs> Your PC terms are all up in it. <laughs> I'm, I am very sugary. I do not drink sugary drinks. No. Ever. Yeah, that's good. Uh, well, maybe. I drank one the other day. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> Be sure your sugar will find I you out. I don't buy sugary drinks. Yep, okay. Most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't buy um, sugary food. Yep. I think you don't buy food at all because your wife does grocery shopping a lot. Yeah, and this is the this is what I said to her: is like, if you don't buy it, I ain't gonna eat it. So, yeah. On the odd occasion that you know I might be travelling somewhere or at a restaurant, I do indulge, or maybe at fellowship yeah. lunch. But apart from that, um, apart from those you know exceptional yeah, yeah. circumstances, mm-hmm. I'm sugar free. Yeah, which is not bad at all. It's not bad. It's sugar reduced, and great. it's a good thing. It's yeah. a good thing. It if makes me happier. If we could all limit person. it to that, it'd be fine, really. I'm in a yeah. better mood for having less sugar. Yeah, I'm really not right now, but hopefully I'll get there too. <laughs> You will get there. You yeah. will like yourself when you're not on sugar. Yeah, it's funny because I was researching this morning when I woke up and my headache had lasted you know, all through the night and all through yesterday. And I was like, there's got to be something I can do. And uh, and I looked it up, I researched it, and uh, basically all the symptoms you can possibly get for quitting with quitting sugar <clears throat> with jaw symptoms, I have them all, um, which sucks. Uh, and then the things that you can do, apart from uh, nausea, that there are withdrawal symptoms. Anything that you get withdrawal symptoms from should should be a warning sign to us. I've never heard Absolutely. of someone getting withdrawal symptoms from broccoli. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's because it doesn't exist. You mean broccoli? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it says here that the symptoms are depression, anxiety, changes in sleep patterns, cognitive issues, cravings, lightheaded and dizziness, nausea, tingling, and fatigue. And yeah, actually, I'm not, I'm not getting tingly. I'm not tingly. Um, yeah, so all those apart from two. But they said the best things you can do to combat it. And I'm pretty happy that I'm doing like automatically all the things that would usually uh, combat these 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 cravings, um, except for the one that's probably like the second biggest, and that is exercise. Because because my sleep pattern's been messed up, and I'm just so fatigued. I've woken up the last two mornings and instead of going to the gym, I've just been like, I'm just going to keep sleeping. <laughs> so I really need to get to the gym. Yeah, you need to get to the gym because that will help you get over Absolutely. all of your symptoms so much quicker. Yeah, yeah. And you need to get some sunshine. Not that there is any sunshine out there today. Yeah, I'll, I'll try. If anyone else wants to go sugar-free with Producer Shell and myself, Producer Shell goes sugar-free from like January to November almost every year. And then it's a big blowout at Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> Six different pies. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but I think she was talking about having a sugar-reduced Thanksgiving this year. No, no, nah, she's shaking her head like, she's what, like are what are you, are you talking you? about? <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to go sugar-free with me, and if you'd like to go vegan with me and Lawson, Lawson and I, uh, feel free to do so. So, yeah, jump on board. First, right. first of August is only two days away, so you can start. I think I could handle August. a sugar-free Christmas. Yeah, I... Easy. I Piece know. of cake. I could do that, no problem at all. Sugar-free Thanksgiving would be tough. I, yeah, I agree with tough. you on that one. I agree with you on Apple that one. Apple pie is just... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Lyle, I have some really cool news. Mm-hmm. This is... like You know how we're having a bit of a straw revolution? Everyone's chucking out pl- 
plastic. They're done with plastic straws. We're moving away from plastic straws. Even now, all the supermarkets and spotlight and so forth, you can now get paper straws. Um, all this sort of like, yep, sort of more absolutely bring uh, on b- biodegradable, uh-huh. plasticky like substance as well. And um, which is great. But it's funny because we had one of those plastic bags, pl- plastic shopping bags that we took away, you know, because we, when we went away on our holiday to uh, the centre of Australia, you know, you know how you sort of take a plastic bag full of plastic bags that you mm. can use for like an end I think you need a plastic bag for. Yeah. And um, well, at least one of them that was in there was one of these new biodegradable plastic bags. Uh-huh. And I went to get it out from underneath the uh, seat of my ute. And, and it, it was just like... It had biodegraded all <laughs> over the floor. And there was tiny pieces of it everywhere. But it was good to see that it actually it worked. Works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It broke down. You know, it was probably a couple of weeks old. And it had broken down into very small pieces. And, you know, by now it's just powder. Yeah, uh, which is great. I'm still concerned about the production of it because the, we're still going to be polluting the world to make those things. Like even though they, the result is something that can biodegrade back into back into the earth, the production, the sheer process of it um, is still going to be uh, not great. And we, we're doing them on such a large scale. Like, cause we're yeah, so well, the thing is, them. the thing is, we've kind of gone plastic bag free in our house. Yeah. Um, and what you find is, when you, once you go plastic bag free, you don't actually need them. Yeah, yeah, you just have to shift, you have to shift your thinking. So it's a paradigm shift and then you're yep. done. Yeah. Yep. But there's a lady uh, in the Philippines who's inspiring thousands of people and thousands of cafes around the world with a new way to replace plastic straws. So instead of going to like paper straws or, or less plasticky straws, um, they're doing what is un- like undeniably the cheapest, most biodegradable alternative for plastic straws anyone has ever seen. She's literally getting coconut leaves, cutting them into slices, rolling them up, tying them with another piece of coconut leaf, and Bob's your uncle. That's cool. And not only that, check this out, covering her goods with a a coconut leaf. So instead of using cling wrap, she just gets a a sheet of of, coconut leaf, like straight off the tree, Puts it over the top and then ties it with another um, sliced up piece of coconut, basically string. So she just slices the coconut into a thin strip, the coconut leaf into a thin strip, and then that acts as the string that she ties around the uh, the, the lid port part of the leaf to hold it down. It's so cool and it works fine. That's awesome. That's yeah. really really cool. That's that that because I mean, hey, the way you produce that is by growing coconut palms. Isn't that amazing? You actually literally grow more trees to create these straws and these coverings, and then when you're done with them. Like, I mean, I guess you can wash them, but until they get, like, you know, they sort of break down, like, any sort of produce. You don't really use them once or twice, and then they just um, turn yeah. back into coconut trees. Put them at the bottom of another of a coconut tree, and they'll become a coconut That's tree. That's it. When they start going brown and mushy, you just, just Ultimate stick recycling. them in your compost. Like, uh-huh. uh, why, did we, why, did we, why did we think we have to make this so we complicated? We could have done this with bamboo. We could have done this years we could, we ago. Could have, we could have used bamboo, just drill the center out of the bamboo Dude, on the joints, yeah. and you've got a straw. Yeah. Why do we have to make stuff so complicated? Why would, we're so silly, aren't we? You know, you can go to like a lot of gro- like Asian groceries. You know how they have the Asian shops now, and uh, and you can buy like packets of um, of coconut leaves, and they're really? huge, huge palms. Really, and they, they come wrapped, rolled it up. Well, see, the other thing that you can that is very useful that you see used in developing countries all over the place is banana leaves. They use those for everything. Oh yeah, yeah, same sort of thing, same sort of thing. Yeah, I've eaten off a banana leaf as a plate. It was great. Yeah. Doing the dishes was never so simple in my life. Umbrella <laughs> works for all kinds of things. <laughs> Stay tuned.
Anyway, during the break, we had uh, Shell come into the studio, our producer, with a completely revolutionary idea that uh, goes one step above making straws out of coconut leaves. Yeah. It was just mind-blowing. It's something it was I have never heard in my so life before. And it uh, is the ultimate in uh, you know, saving, saving yeah. straw replacement. Yeah. She said, 
Just drink from the cup. <laughs> drink from the cup. <laughs> Who would have thought of such a My thing? My mind is blown. <laughs> uh, there is such a thing as drinking from a cup, people. And uh, believe it or not, before straws were invented, we never died of thirst due to the lack of straws. I wonder why straws were invented. I wonder if it has anything to do with lipstick. I have no idea, but it's kind of cool drinking out of a straw. It's a different kind of sensation. Yeah. And I think it's more about the sensation with some with some things like uh, I had a uh, um, a Berry Bank smoothie the other day and you either had to drink it with a straw or a spoon. Yeah. But, you know, a spoon would have been fine. That could have given me a stainless steel spoon. I would have um, been just as happy. Like soup. Yeah. Smoothie bowl. Yeah. Yeah. It probably was nicer through a straw, but I didn't need to have a straw. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing. The straw is. There's never a time that you need to have a straw. Uh, I mean, I, th- I think there is time for people who like are in hospital and they can't like. Yeah, yeah. that's different. Yeah, that's yeah, different. Yeah. You get those bendy straws. The breakfast show bits you may have missed. So what's our story for the day, Mon? Oh, Lyle, I have so many good stories. There's so much good news. I have like a whole bunch of tabs open on my on my laptop in front of me. Well, that's just good. Our week is I starting know. with good news. In I fact, we have a whole week ahead of us. What are you planning for this week? What do you mean, what am I planning for? Yeah, what are you planning for? What, what, you've got a whole week ahead of you. What do you want to accomplish by the end of the week? I would love to have found a job. Okay. <laughs> yeah, All right, so just putting it out there, anyone in the Newcastle region that is looking for a great employee uh, who can start work immediately after the breakfast show? Yeah, so starting around 10 a.m. because I can't start at 9 because <laughs> we're still just finishing off the So radio. a second job, a second job. Yeah, yeah, so this is only three hours a day. <clears throat> what are you hoping to accomplish? I am hoping to cut down lots of dead trees. More than you already have. Because <laughs> <laughs> just about out of firewood. Actually, it's so funny because speaking of cutting down trees, one of my good news stories feeds right into that. Okay. So the New South Wales government has... So this is not usual for you. What? Being a resident greenie. Cutting down trees being a good news story. Well, no, it's not really, is it? <laughs> well, kind of. Well, get this right. So the New South Wales government has just announced that they're going to make a koala reserve. Oh, nice. I know. Isn't that wonderful? But do you know, I didn't realize this, but koalas are like so, their population is dwindling. Like there's only about 36,000 left, 36, left in our state and they're yeah. not even 100% sure about that. That's right. They're dying out, which is really sad because mm-hmm. they're so cute. And that's why they get lots of money spent on them and lots of protection while all of the non-cute animals Yeah, that's true. uh, Rapidly going extinct and nobody cares. Yeah, but do you know what? This will help those animals as well because it's going to be a massive, uh, it's about 25,000 hectares of Mm -hmm. state forest. It's in the mid-north coast. It's going to become a koala habitat. There's also going to be a new koala hospital opening at Port Stephens to care for the the sick and injured koalas. But yeah, 45 million bucks. Are they going to do anything to curb the number of feral Cats and feral Wouldn't foxes. That, that would absolutely do within that reserve, so that they don't get eaten. They should like and shave off five million of that forty-five million and wild dogs. Put that to people who can like clean out the cat, the wild cat, um, feral cats and wild dogs. Absolutely, that would do a much. And I think they should uh, make stricter laws about keeping cats inside. Cats should have never cats been inside, outside. and uh, <laughs> and also cats that are. Um, Neutered. Yeah. Do you know so what? This might feral cats. this might sound very controversial, but if you if you want to, um, you know, have a go, yeah, <laughs> give us a call. Absolutely. Faith of Happy but, to discuss this. Update. But bring bring your big guns because Lyle and I are very passionate about where cats belong in society, and it's inside the house. <laughs> yes, and foxes do not belong anywhere in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. They need to be eradicated. 
Um, but speaking, of, do you know what? Let's keep speaking about this because you're a Tasmanian, right? Mm. Did you know no foxes in Tasmania? Yes, that's good. They, can they swim? Can foxes swim? Yes, but they can't swim in the that whole far. It's a long way to swim to Tasmania. <laughs> so maybe they could like build a canoe out of some tree. <laughs> yes. um, okay, are you aware that they're um, planning on building a cable car up to the summit of Mount Wellington? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Uh, me too. Um, I mean, you've got this awesome mountain. It's got uh-huh. massive, you know, TV and radio antennas on top of it. Mm-hmm. So you've already got technology sitting on the mountain. Mm-hmm. You've got a state that is full of wilderness, untouched mountains. Mm-hmm. Use your one mountain that already has technology on it as a, a t- tourist industry so that people who are disabled mm-hmm. can at least enjoy one of the mountains in Tasmania yep. because they can't enjoy any of the other mountains. And I just don't think it's going to have that much of an effect on the environment because, you know, they, they're planning this, they're planning this uh, cable car um, in in a... In, on Mount Wellington in Hobart, but over the weekend, that thousands of people uh, went Total to... Total selfishness by people who are fit and healthy well enough to go and hike. Mm, yeah, so... so and, and want to lock away those who are too young, too old, or too disabled to see the beauty of Tasmania. So they had a rally, um, basically <clears throat> protesting against the cable car. And I'm just... I'm a little bit sad. To, probably just offended a whole bunch of people in Tasmania, but... Yeah. <laughs> but hey, give us a call. We'll chat about <laughs> That's it. That's my opinion. I'm putting it out there. Give us a call. <laughs> I, you know, Share your opinion. I just... I can see the damage that, you know, like a nuclear plant or an oil rig can, can do. But a cable car... Like, yeah. come on, cable yeah. car, like, I just don't see something, like, once you've built it... Well, the argument it's is that it's going to look ugly on the face of the mountain. I, and I, I get that to no. a certain extent, but the mountain already has massive antennas, you know, standing on top of I don't think they them. look ugly. I think they look adorable. I love the little, 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 you know, the little white dots of cable cars going up a mountain. I, I think they're so exciting. Well, you know, when, when I think of... Tourism. This would have to be like one of the least evasive tourisms, um, tourist mm-hmm. things that we could do. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I put, like when I think about all the travels that I've done, like some of my highlights have always been in cable cars. I love mm-hmm. cable cars. Yep. Yeah. So Absolutely. I I know you keep calling me a greenie, but I guess yeah, I'm you're, you're just like not a greenie today. What, have you, what, what happened to Monica? What have you done with Monica? Where is she? <laughs> oh, but let me tell you some more good news. There's just so much of it. So New Zealand. Bless our brothers over there. I love New Zealand. They have actually vowed to get every single homeless citizen into warm housing before winter hits in four weeks. Oh wow, that's 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 super impressive. Yeah, so um, it's a hundred million dollar emergency housing package. They've just launched it on Friday, and um, and they're pulling out all the stops to make sure they're going to support people um, who you know urgently need housing because you know New Zealand is so cold. So much mm-hmm. colder than we are. Um, but the government is just really making sure that everyone is uh, helped to find warm, dry housing. So there's about 40,000 homeless people. And um, they've got four weeks. So that's about 10,000 people per week um, to get these people into proper shelters, uh, proper facilities. So... I see you're flicking through your Bible. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. just thinking. Oh, look, it, I mean, and I've read this before, and I'll read it again. Um, then the then the king will say to those on his right hand, "Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me." Uh, continues on here. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you or thirsty and gave you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and took you in or naked and clothed you? Or when did we see you sick and in prison and came unto you? And the king will answer, 
Truly I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. I like this story. It actually relates to a story that I'm going to talk about briefly. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> so okay. there's a story that's in the, there's a, there's an interesting thing. There's a story that's in the news right now mm-hmm. um, about women um, as CEOs. And uh, there's a lot of, you know, debate that it should be a 50-50 split. And so there's a lot of companies that are pushing women up onto boards and, and positions of um, influence and power because of this. You know, they look very bad if they don't. Mm. But what is not being addressed is that while men dominate um, CEO positions and board positions, they also dominate homelessness. And what you have is that men inhabit the two extreme ends of the spectrum Mm -hmm. and women inhabit the center. Mm-hmm. Which relates to the male um, attribute of risk. Okay. So men, yeah. men, men, men live high risk, high reward, mm-hmm. which my wife constantly complains about. She's like, oh, you always take a she'll be right attitude. It's the, uh, the high risk, high reward. And that high risk, high reward attitude that men have is going to place them at either end of the extreme. Mm-hmm. So they take that high risk and some of them get the high reward and become a CEO. Um, others get the, uh, the opposite end of that and become homeless. That's very And so men dominate both ends. Wow. And women prefer safer, yeah. secure environments. And all of the people in our world today are, defend- are descended from half of the men who have ever lived. Wow. Because men die younger because of high risk, high reward, and you know it's men who go to war and all mm-hmm, of this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, all of the people in our world today are descended from half of the men who have ever lived. That is so interesting. I do have something maybe a little bit controversial to say about that, but I'm going to say it after our next song break. Um, and Grace, then, you want to hear some controversy? It's coming right up. <laughs> get your phones out. Get ready. We've been very me. controversial this morning, haven't we? <laughs> Smiling, but on the inside 
And Mon, you are having a very honest morning this morning. Mm. You've gone, you've gone from uh, um, a, a two three months of um, the left side of things to, <laughs> to, the, to the right all of a sudden. Look, I'm all for protecting the environment and recycling and Absolutely. all that stuff. Absolutely, but I just don't see any harm in a cable car being built on the side of a mountain that already has stuff on it. I know, and and to some extent, I sometimes wonder if not like it's a wilderness mountain. It's got covered with houses and stuff all around the base of it. Oh, really? Well, in that case, it's even more reason. This is Mount Wellington in in Hobart. Oh, the one like oh in Hobart. Yeah, yeah, one road in Hobart. No, that you can't damage that mountain. It's made out of rock. Sure. What are you going to do with it? I, I think sometimes that we uh, protect things to the extent that they become useless. Like, you know, you can't go there anymore. You can't touch. You can't do anything. And it's like, well, it's almost like it doesn't exist really. No, nature is a beautiful thing. And mm. God created nature and he created it to be appreciated. Mm-hmm. And he created it to be appreciated um, and enjoyed by more than just those who are fit and healthy enough to hike their way in and see it. So there needs, to be, a, there needs to be a middle ground. There needs to be a middle mm-hmm. ground. And, you know, God provides for everyone and mm-hmm. we need to provide for everyone as well that's yep. that's um you know i think that's the the christian approach to something like this yeah now the controversial thing that i was going to that's, s- that's 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 fine if you've got a different opinion just yeah just give us a call and tell yeah, us right. about it right. um so you were just saying uh, about the the women ceo thing and how um yeah. yeah what disturbs me about it is we we work hard to get women into uh, positions of power and i have no problem with that so long as we balance that out by working hard to deal with homelessness amongst men. So I do have a problem with that. Um, you know how they're trying to do this whole like equality thing. They should be like, what was it? You said like 50% of... should be 50-50 yeah. women, men, CEOs. I don't think it should be 50-50. I, I didn't say that. I said that's what, okay, they, okay, that's that's what they're aiming for. I don't think it should be 50-50. I don't think we should pick our CEOs based on their gender. We should pick our CEOs based on the performance that they've done, on how hard they've worked, on their skills. You know, on can you imagine like someone's just slogged their guts out, worked their whole life, just done an excellent job, and instead of becoming CEO, it goes to someone else who is, you know, less deserving simply because they're of a different gender I don't think that's fair no that's, that's, that's not that's not right either yeah I, don't, I think it's I think we're being so careful to be politically correct when it comes to gender and I also think this uh, you know also is a, is a race issue because I know in America they often try to like balance it out I'd I think opportunities should be created, but people should not be rewarded simply because they're of whatever gender or whatever race. If you can, they need to be given opportunities from a young age to be able to mm-hmm. create that path mm-hmm. and work to that point. But once you get there, you know, it should still be and the same. And we definitely should be trying to create those opportunities for young people Absolutely. that don't necessarily have those opportunities. That's, what, yeah. that's really where it starts. Is, Education. Is uh, is providing those educational opportunities so that young people can excel yeah, in life I think and, we and, and, and achieve whatever they want to achieve. So that I they come from the most disadvantaged background to becoming, you know, Prime Minister of the country. Instead of just making people CEOs because of whatever gender they are, I think we need to teach people to be CEOs. Mm-hmm. And then based on completely on their merit of their work that's how we should decide whether they become a CEO there you go so that's my opinion there Mon's Mon's putting it out there and uh, I'm not into this 50-50 like nonsense whatsoever there shouldn't be some regulated number it should be based on I think that's just common sense I think like the vast majority of Australians get that it's just the uh, the small vocal minority of the ones we don't ever hear about yeah we're trying to be so PC I think we've got to mess it up to be honest but anyway Cool. That's okay. In on this day in two thousand and seven, that wasn't very long ago, was it? 
A major discovery was made. Guess what was discovered? 2007. It was discovered after a 35-year search. One man searched for this thing for 35 years, and he discovered it in 2007. You, you, after searching for something for 35 years, you'd be uh, pretty satisfied to find something, wouldn't you? Was it the origin of the Nile? No. Okay. I give up. I was just watching a documentary about the Nile, so that's why I'm all Nile. <laughs> uh, yes, um, the origin of the Nile was actually discovered by um, Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> I've heard that theory and it's a lie. <laughs> it was the tomb of Herod the Great. Oh, are you serious? Yes, absolutely. Did they find his slimy wife as well? No, he no, killed his you- wife. Oh, this is Herod the Great, not the not, oh, not the uh, Herod the Bible one. No, it is one of the Bible ones. Oh, it's one of in the, the Bible. Bible. There are four different Herods, and they're all called Herod, just to confuse you. <laughs> okay. So you just everyone just assumes like, oh, it's the same Herod, but uh-huh. um, this one um, was the first one. So this is the Herod that was alive when Jesus was born. Oh, okay. So he was the most powerful of all the Herods. Thus, he was called um, Herod the Great, mm-hmm. and um, he was the one who, after Jesus was born. Well, when, when before yeah, when Jesus was born, the, the Magi, of course, um, Persian scholars came to uh, Jerusalem and were looking for the tomb of Jesus. So not the what am I saying? The birthplace of Jesus, where mm-hmm. Jesus was. They wanted to go mm-hmm. and worship Jesus, and so. Um, Having having arrived in Jerusalem, they're talking to Herod about it, and of course Herod freaks out that there is somebody who is plotting against him because mm-hmm. the Jews just hated him uh, because he wasn't really a Jew; he was a he was an Edomite, and they they were really just you know horrified that uh, this particular individual was ruling over them, mm-hmm. and so he was always paranoid to the max, and so he's like, oh, there's a rival somewhere. So he he asks the priest, you know, where's this Messiah going to be born? And he's like, well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So he goes to Bethlehem and he commands the uh, death of every single male child in Bethlehem, two oh. years old and younger. What a lunatic. That's just absolutely horrific. Yeah, yeah but you've got to understand the kind of person he was. This is the kind of person who killed his own wife mm-hmm. and then executed two of his own sons. Oh. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he was full on. This was a guy who was in it when he was on his deathbed. He invited hundreds of Jewish, important Jewish men to Jericho where he was dying and then secretly gave orders that when he died they were all to be executed because he was worried that after he died there would be great celebration and no mourning. And so he wanted there to be lots of mourning so he killed all, all of these uh, um, Jewish people so that um, there would actually be mourning that took place when he died. He sounds like an absolute despot. Oh, this guy was a sicko. A uh, massive, massive And sicko. they found his tomb and were happy about well, it? Well, Josephus described where it was. Mm-hmm. And so Ehud Netzer um, from the Hebrew University um, studied the writings of Josephus and focused his search um, around a, a fortress called the Herodium. Mm-hmm. And he searched there for 35 years until he fi- found the tomb of Herod. And when he found the sarcophagus or the, the coffin of Herod, mm-hmm. guess what he found inside? A skeleton? Nope. Mice? Nope. Some treasure? Nope. I give up. Nothing. It'll be oh, smashed. Nothing. Oh, Tomb Raiders. Yeah, they, uh, they, they assume that uh, the Jews broke in there and smashed it and probably took the body out and spread it to the four winds of heaven. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because they just absolutely hated the guy. But this was the guy who built the greatest of all the Jewish temples. He did? Yes. 
He, so he hates the Jews, but he built and it was the temple. greatest of all the temples for two reasons. How come? Physically, it was the greatest temple, and in fact, it was one of the greatest temples of the ancient world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it was massive. It was, you know, three times. You, you go to Jerusalem, and, and 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 if you, as a listener, have ever been to Jerusalem, you will know what I'm talking about. You stand on the Mount of Olives, you look out across uh, the Temple Mountain, where there's now the Dome of the Rock. That's a, a, an Islamic shrine there, mm-hmm. um, which is you know the third most sacred place to Islam in the world because apparently this is where uh, Muhammad was supposed to have ascended to heaven from. And and it just dominates the city of Jerusalem. This, the Dome of the Rock is just massive and it's this golden dome. And then you see a model of Herod's temple beside the Dome of the Rock <laughs> and it is three times higher and bigger than the Dome of the Rock. Really? Yes. And and you're looking at a modern Jerusalem with modern buildings in it. Mm-hmm. You know, ancient Jerusalem, the buildings would have been smaller um, on average. And this temple just was completely out of all proportion of anything else, you know, anywhere between there and Egypt. Wow. It was just massive. And this is and this is what Herod built because, you know, he was once again freaked out that the Jews hated him. So he's like, well, I'll build them a temple. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing that made it the greatest of the Jewish temples. Mm-hmm. So the first one was the one that Moses built. The second one was built by, Zerub- by Solomon. The third one by Zerubbabel. The fourth one by Herod. And the fifth one is the great original in heaven. But you know what else made it the uh, greatest of the temples? What? The second thing. What? This was the temple where Jesus Christ himself worshipped. And this is why the Bible says that this temple would be the greatest temple. Not because of its size, because it would be blessed by the presence of the Messiah, by Jesus Christ himself. You can go there today and you can walk up the steps that Jesus walked up. Oh, no wonder everyone's so excited about that.
joining us on the phone this morning is uh, David Haupt. David, welcome to the show. Good morning to you and your listeners. Uh, fantastic, David. Thank you so much. Now, David, of course, um, you're at the moment uh, replacing David Stojic, so we're going from one David to the other. Um, and last week we were fascinated with the material that you were presenting on the issue of shame, how it affects our lives amongst other um, aspects. And so this week is uh, is part two of this this series. And so, um, yeah, where are we starting off today, David? Well, let's start in, in Scripture. Let me just say uh, to your listeners that this is an issue that is more common than what we realize um, whenever I speak on this topic, normally about um, one out of a hundred people do not know what I'm understand or what I'm saying. The rest know exactly what I'm saying because they have experienced shame. In the book of Proverbs, fifteen verse thirteen, we no- we read the following words. It says, "A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance." But listen, what follows? But by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. Mm. So, la- so the question here is, what is this phenomena called shame that breaks the spirit of an individual? And where I'd like to take your listeners uh, this morning is to have a quick look at what are some of the events that can break the spirit of man and leads to shame. And as we said last week, often will hold us cemented into the past, unable to to reach the full potential that God has designed us for. And then hopefully we'll have enough time uh, to, to, to just step in in just a few pointers on how to break free from that. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting what you said about the merry heart doing good like a medicine. I read the story one time of a man who was, and this is, a, this is from more of a physical rather than emotional perspective, but was diagnosed with terminal cancer and decided that uh, he was going to enjoy his last few months and uh, started watching lots of um, comedies and just focusing on everything that was funny and uh, made him happy and uh, ended up being completely uh, cured of cancer just by having a very positive attitude to life. Um, exactly. And what, you, what you're saying here is that from the emotional perspective, that merry heart or that happiness um, can actually have a similar effect on, on us from an emotional perspective as well. What are some of these things from our past that, um, that are likely to cause issues of shame? One is the issue of abandonment. In other words, when people that are significant in our life abandon us. And uh, as an example, yeah, I'd like to just share with your listeners a text message that I received from a young mother just past uh, last week. Um, she writes and she says, I felt awful and confronted yesterday evening while putting a little boy to sleep. No amount of careful parenting minimized the sense of abandonment a child feels. Good night kisses were laid upon him. Mum said the little boy, our dad left because of me, didn't he? And then the oh. mother concludes, she says, it's awful that a seven-year-old should ever feel this way. It broke my heart. Mm. Well, it, bro- it broke his heart as well. And this is what so often happens when a child grows up in a single-parent home. They carry the belief, the shame, in other words, that a parent had left because of who they are. And mm. that they have a lack of worth and value. Now, by the way, that is a distortion. Yeah, oh, but, absolutely. 
but that is what they would live with for the rest of their life. And another one is abuse. But, but, just, but just, just jumping in there for a second, if that's their perception, then for them it's their reality. Exactly. And in other words, those, those would be the rose-coloured lenses that they will carry throughout their life, looking, measuring relationships in, in the future life. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. You see how that will hold them back from ever reaching the potential that God has designed for, uh, them for. Well, I grew up in a single-person um, home myself, but slightly different circumstances where my mother passed away when I was young, and mm. I never faced those issues of abandonment. I faced other issues for sure, but I always felt, even as a young person, that while my circumstances were tough, they were not as tough as some of my classmates who came from broken homes. That's right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So definitely something that uh, parents need to be thinking about in relationship to their children, particularly if they're in a relationship that uh, is toxic for the children and they find themselves you know, in needing to separate, that they make sure that their children you know, do not go through that whole sense of abandonment. We cannot make choices for other people and therefore some marriages just can't be held together because of a partner's decision. But I would also at the same time like to say that the best gift that a parent can give their child is to work on their relationship and continue to work on their relationship and try to restore relationship to a good, you know, environment. Mm, mm. Yeah, absolutely. A, okay. a second way... Sorry. Yeah, you're, that's right. Take us, take us into the second, second issue. The second issue is that of uh, abuse. In other words, the human spirit is wounded and a sense of shame is formed by abuse, especially by those that are supposed to be our support and our protectors. So abusive words, uh, Proverbs 18.21 refers to that. Physical abuse, Ephesians 6 verse 4. Sexual abuse, 2 Samuel 13 verse 20. Terrible story of Tamar that's left desolated, deserted, um, and devastated after sexual abuse by a half-brother. And uh, I recall an event where I was running a depression and anxiety recovery program for the community. And a 82 old lady came into our program and booked in for counseling and was unable to do the evaluation program that we normally do so she sat there and I said to her look uh, would you mind if I lead you and I asked her the first question which were relating to abuse uh, abuse is often instilling shame in people. I asked her the question, have you ever been exposed to sexual abuse? To which she just burst out in tears. I allowed her to cry for a while and then eventually just gently touched her arm. She looked up at me and said, I'm the first one that you've ever shared this with. Now she's 82 years old. The abuse took place when she was but a mere seven years of age. Multiple relationship, broken relationship, multiple broken marriages, living in isolation, she still lives with the impact of shame on her life that has been brought to her by someone who was out of control. Mm. The interesting news article today that I just noticed about um, child abuse in the South Pacific, not focusing on sexual abuse but on physical abuse, where do you yeah. draw the line between, you know, because obviously they have a culture of discipline, where is the line between discipline and abuse? 
When does discipline become abuse? When when a child feels rejected, when a child feels abandoned, when they when there's a conditionality in the sense of acceptance, affection, and a sense of belonging. Um, so physical abuse, uh, sorry, physical discipline in itself when it is done in a loving care. I know I'm treading you on very, very thin ice, but if, if, uh, if discipline is done with a sense of love and acceptance and a sense of belonging, that child can learn from it. Mm-hmm. But when it is done on a conditionality, so I'll give you acceptance, affection, and a sense of belonging conditionally, then that child will actually uh, navigate their life with a sense of shame. Mm, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Okay, so where else are some, what are some of these other areas that, where this is going to uh, stem from? Another one is betrayal. Um, when we betray our friends, and betrayal here can uh, can happen when uh, the closest people that we so often would confide in actually uh, would break that confidence and share that with uh, with other people. Adultery is a form of betrayal. Um, the sin that no one has ever, as as a Christian therapist, uh, approached me and said, "David, please help me to deal with this sin," uh, is the sin that David calls King. David, that God will destroy those that use that, and that is the sin that we call by the common name of gossip. Oh, oh, okay. So, how big of an issue is this? Huge. So, David actually the, talks about, you know, God will destroy people who indulge in gossip. Psalm 101, uh, verse I think it's verse five. Uh, he says, "He that speaks the evil of his brother." God will destroy. That's that's a heavy statement. And I, when 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 we st- came on here to start talking about shame, I was not expecting you to bring up the issue of gossip. And you know, this is one of the things I think we are all in danger. I, I can speak for myself. Um, we all have this thing somewhere within us to love a juicy piece of gossip. Exactly, it, and it comes so easily, even for Christians. But I want to venture in saying that it's maybe easier to resurrect someone from the dead than resurrect a character that's been decimated. Wow. Yeah, that's um, that's something that you know. You imagine, you imagine if we looked at uh, our, our our churches as just say one example, and let's say that we eliminated gossip from our churches, what a difference it would make. God gives us a very clear instruction. If I see my brother sinning, what should I do? Go to the pastor and talk to the pastor. Go and talk to the church board. Go and talk to, you know, everyone else. No, Scripture says go to your brother alone and between the two of you alone, go and sort it out. Mm-hmm. What would happen if we would in actual fact come alongside that individual, place our arms in an appropriate way on the shoulder and say, hey, brother, I can see that you're struggling with this this issue. Would you allow me to walk with you? I would like to support you through this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Shall we move on um, to the next one? That's that's a very different way of looking at, um, you know, the whole issue of dealing with the... That our, dealing with our fellow sinners, and I think that's probably the way we need to look at it and remind ourselves, is that uh, we're all in this together. Yes, what's your next one there, David? Sin. 
That's sin, our own our own sins mm-hmm. produces shame. In other words, so far we've been dealing with things that other people do to us, but sometimes shame is instilled under our own command. So in Psalm 51, a psalm well known for King David struggling with the aftermath of his sin of um, a a sexual relationship with another man's wife. Uh, He says in verse 3, my sin is ever before me. Yeah, he's not uh, holding back. He's, 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 actually, he's actually getting it out here, isn't he? He's, well, he held it back for a year. Yes. Before he wrote this psalm and came to repentance. And that must have and been it, incredibly hard for him just to, you know, to live with. But our sin destroys our own soul. And, and in uh, Proverbs 6.32, uh, it says, He that commits adultery destroys his own soul, wounds, in other words, his own soul. Mm. And you can see with David, I mean, David didn't just commit adultery, but, you know, he's, he slept with this, this man's wife. Um, then he doesn't, then she falls pregnant, so he doesn't want the secret to leak out because, you know, her husband is away on a military campaign. Uh, so that's going to create a scandal. And so he's like, okay, how am I going to cover up the scandal? So then he murders her husband and marries her. Um, because, you know, that way he can claim the child as his own. And it, 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 uh, it's, it's just a, uh, you've got one sin compounding on top of another, on top of another as he tries to hide this whole thing up until eventually he he comes to repentance. Exactly. Now, we can continue with multiple uh, things that will indicate and, and show how that shame is installed in our life, but I would like to move forward to, to quickly give you three pointers on how to break free from sin. Please note that most of, of the shame is instilled where other people are actually projecting their own issues upon us. In other words, it is their hot potatoes, not ours, but sometimes it happens under our command. Now, the first point to break free from shame in our life is that which we do not want to do, and that is to acknowledge our shame. So, Bradford, a a Christian psychiatrist, writes on this point that he says that the only way out of the pain, his own shame, was to come out of hiding. I had to surrender. I had to embrace my shame and my pain. Embracing my pain led me to expose my pain, my sorrow, my loneliness, and my shame. This is what I had feared doing for so long. Mm. So, So, that's point number one. Point number two is to act against my shame. In other words, uh, to declare my iniquity to God, to to just acknowledge it to God and then to move away from that shameful uh, event. And number three is to address my shame. Um, it is the, the robber of the human soul that says, in the story of John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery, she's guilty, stoner. It is an actual fact, the creator God, the one that's our savior that says, neither do I condemn you. Mm. And then just the last point is ask God for an intimate relationship with him. The only way that shame can be broken is as we move closer to God in an intimacy with him and allow him to start to speak into our life, our worth and our value. Mm. 
David, thank you so much for joining us. We are out of time, but I do look forward to uh, next week where we can come back and continue this conversation. That was.